This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow. All in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Hello and welcome to Ascent Dental Radio, a program dedicated to the balance between the clinical aspect of healthcare and the business of healthcare. And now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Coughlin. Welcome. My name is Dr. Kevin Coughlin. You're listening to Ascent Dental Solutions with a focus on knowledge, education, development, and training. I want to thank our producers, David Wolf and his company that makes these podcasts possible. And I'd also like to give a shout out to Patterson Dental Supply Company, Henry Schein Dental Supply Company, Vocal Material and Supply Company, along with Dental On Demand Force and the various sponsors of this podcast. Without their support, they would not be possible. Again, we're fortunate today to have another expert in their field, something that I think can help the medical and dental professionals provide some passive income, uh, some active income, and hopefully in uh, these scary economic times, shed some light on the power of uh, real estate, the investment opportunities that are out there. I'd like to introduce our listeners to Mr. Lane Kawawaka. And I hope I got that pronunciation correct. But Lane, I can't thank you enough for joining tonight's podcast and providing our listeners with your expertise and knowledge. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your company and how you came about and how you think you can help our listeners this evening? Hey, Kevin, thanks for having me again. So I have a company called SimplePassiveCashflow.com. Folks can uh, get connected with me through the website or I have my own podcast. But um, yeah, we currently own 3,500 units. We syndicate apartment buildings and mobile home park investments and bring in passive investors to invest alongside of us, getting all the returns and the passive losses and depreciation along the process. And how do you think, besides the obvious, that we as healthcare professionals that spend so much time providing healthcare Uh, But sometimes we miss out on the financial opportunities that are out there because, one, we're not knowledgeable in those areas. We haven't been trained in those areas. And how can you enlighten us? What would be the steps and the recommendations that you'd suggest to our listeners? Yeah, so I think, you know, it's kind of two parts. First is, you know, getting into more opportunities that have a lot less middlemen in there. Um, you know, personally, I don't want to invest in any mutual fund type of products. A lot of it is because it's, you know, the retail investments where there's a lot of middlemen, 
you know, like financial planners, they just, you know, they'll, they'll get paid when you invest in a certain particular product. Um, a lot of the opportunities that I go into are kind of directly with an operator or a sponsor and, you know, it cuts out the middlemen. And then, you know, the second biggest thing that I work with my clients on, a lot of doctors and dentists are, you know, tax mitigation strategies for the wealthy. Um, using bonus depreciation from a lot of these opportunities via cost segregations. And then, you know, a, lot, a myriad of other um, strategies such as land conservation easements, oil and gas investments. Um, so we can bring your guys' AGI down or adjusted gross income as, as low as we can, you know, to definitely get it below that $326,000 threshold because, you know, I think that's the, that's the unfortunate thing for a lot of high income earners is, you know, you're a good contributor to society because you pay a lot of taxes. How can we bring your AGI down through a lot of these tax advantageous investments so that you don't get you know, killed on taxes is a big thing we're trying to do. In your uh, 10 years of experience, and perhaps even more than 10 years, are there mistakes that you constantly see uh, healthcare professionals make so that perhaps we can sidestep uh, and avoid some of the heartaches? Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, when I originally started investing, you know, I used to be an engineer um, working my day job and a lot, of, a lot of ways you get started in real estate is by owning a rental property. Um, you know, so I, I owned 11 rental properties back in 2015, but then I realized that they're not very scalable in terms of effort and, um, you know, moving around your equity. For, for 11 rentals, I had an eviction or two every year, some kind of big issue like a plumbing break or a hurricane tree fell on my house, um, you know, at least a few times a year, which is not really um, too big of a deal because I had a property management to take care of a lot of those headaches for me. But, you know, for 11 houses at a few hundred dollars of cash flow each, that was $3,000 a month. You know, nothing to complain about, but, you know, I need a lot more than that. And I think, you know, a lot of the listeners can agree you're going to need you know, maybe more than $10,000 of passive income a month. And if you do the math, that's 30 houses and three times as much headaches as I mentioned. So as I started to become more of an accredited investor, I started to realize a lot of high net worth doctors, lawyers, dentists, and engineers, you know, they, once their net worth got over to you know, at least half a million million dollars, they started to invest in these private placements and syndications. Um, to diversify with different partners, different asset classes, different locations, and um, tax benefits are better. When you look at management companies to help manage your portfolio, as you mentioned, is there a general formula that you'd recommend us to be aware of? Is it typically 5% of the rental fee that a management company takes? Is it negotiable? How should it be negotiated? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, when you're working as a, a mom and pa investor with a rental property and you're using professional third-party property management, you're typically paying 8 to 10% of the, um, the monthly income being brought in. Um, but unfortunately, and this is where you're not quite aligned with your property manager. When you have a vacancy, the property manager typically takes an, a cut of that. Sometimes half of the first month's rent, so the full um, and first month's rents entirely. Um, and th- this is the difference between more sophisticated credit investors. You know, we're investing in more deals where we have a third layer in there of an asset manager who is a, has skin in the game in terms of they have their own money in the deal and they have their, 
their equity partners along with the other passive investors. So that's the kind of the role that we play. We are kind of um, managing the property manager as best we can. And that's the nice thing when you do step up to more commercial grade assets, 50, 60 units and above, you get a lot better economies of scale and you can hold the property manager more accountable to the profit and loss statement as opposed to your residential property manager who, quite frankly, they don't care whether you're making money or not. And it, it actually, like I said, it kind of helps their business. They make more money when you have a vacancy. Okay. Are there some rules, some specific guidelines that you'd suggest that our listeners consider uh, as they uh, interact with you and your company? Yeah, I mean, one one of our big tenants is cash flow. Um, so, you know, if you're, if you're new to real estate investing, one of the things I always kind of preach upon is buying properties that cash flow. So what that means is we're looking for properties that have a better than 1% rent to value ratio. You can find the rent to value ratio by taking the monthly rent and dividing it by the purchase price. So for example, a lot of the, the properties we'll buy, you know, might rent for $700, $800 that will pick up at fifty or $60,000 a unit. Um, a lot of folks, a lot of my clients live in California, Washington, Hawaii. Uh, we call these primary markets where you're typically not going to find that 1% rent-to-value threshold. You know, you're going to find um, properties that rent for maybe $2,000 a month, but to purchase it might cost for $400,000 if you can find it. You know, th- on that threshold, um, below that, you're just not going to be able to, on a month-to-month basis, cash flow where the rents exceed the monthly repairs, CapEx, vacancy, paying a professional property manager, any other mishaps that can happen, and then have money left over to be able to pay the mortgage, taxes, insurance. Lane, what do you recommend as an exit strategy? I know it would vary from listener to listener, but as you acquire these passive rental incomes, these cash flow, Ultimately, what is the recommendation? Do you sell to a, a venture capital group? Do you sell to a private group? What Ultimately, everything that you have eventually is left to family or is liquidated in some manner. What, what's your suggestions? Yeah, I mean, as a company, we are typically in a deal as much as we're trying to force appreciate the property. And we're, you know, we're going in there doing upgrades to the property, changing out the flooring, new appliances, and increasing the rents. And once we stabilize the apartment and, you know, prove 24 months of profit and loss statements um, and can prove the new net operating income, we'll sell to a more institutional buyer, which are, you know, they're very plentiful out there. Very many buyers on the institutional size will want to buy these type of assets, these stabilized assets. But, you know, to, to... to kind of answer, you know, for the individual investor, you know, my my take is, you know, it depends where you are on this this journey to financial freedom. If you're, you know, kind of like in my shoes, I'm still trying to grow my equity. You know, my net worth is not that threshold of four and a half million to six million, which I, I talk about a lot to my clients. You know, I call that critical mass, where you amass enough net worth to be able to pretty much just kind of sit on your money. Um, and at that point, your strategy may change to just paying off your properties outright. But in my opinion, you know, well below four and a half million dollars, you know, you've got to kind of take a strategy of you know appreciating your equity, you know, growing it, and that means also taking out prudent debt 
you know, not too much debt, but prudent debt so you can be able to cash flow um, through tough times if you need to. And as far as securing insurance on these properties, is there something that you recommend? Is there another rule, a thumb uh, that you follow? Uh, I'm assuming most of these properties have debt, correct? Right, right. And when you have a bank involved, usually the, the bank is the one that dictates the minimum amount of insurance on the properties. But typically, you know, we're going after the uh, the biggest thing on insurance is are you going to insure for the fixed amount or the replacement value? Um, I would usually recommend um, investors go off of the replacement amount as opposed to the actual value. The actual value is, you know, say you have a roof that's 20 years old and it you know, kind of gets damaged in a storm or catches on fire. Well, the insurance adjuster is going to go in there and say it's, well, it's 20 years old. It's only worth like a thousand bucks. You know, you're going to have to come up with the rest of the money. Whereas the replacement value would be to replace it to a brand new um, you know, asset. So, you know, that, that's a that's a big one. Of course, when you go the actual placement value, it's a lot cheaper. But in my, my book, I... I'd rather be more conservative and go after the replacement value. But yeah, I mean, adequately insured, you know, that's the nice thing about a lot of our commercial assets. It's just a higher grade in terms of insurance. So we've had a lot of fires and a lot of storms. And typically when we, you know, an event happens, of course, there's a little short term um, delay in rent, rent, but, you know, we have rent collection insurance so we can recover the lost rents and we're typically getting a third-party consultant on board to fight our claim for us because you know when any incidents happens the insurance company is not your ally <laughs> they're often trying to fight against you so it's best and that's why you kind of go in on bigger assets where you have the economies of scale to pay a professional to get the most that's due to you uh, Lane, with this COVID-19 that's occurred, I know uh, I personally have approximately 17 properties that uh, I lease out uh, to other healthcare professionals, dental offices, medical offices, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, many of the tenants asked for uh, some relief. Did that happen to you and how did you handle it? Yes. Yeah, so most of our clientele are not you know, doctors, um, clients. Um, I would call them more A-class tenants. Um, most of our tenants are workforce housing, you know, people making 40 to 70 grand a year, um, you know, paying $700 to $1,200 monthly rent. Um, but, you know, in terms of collections, how things fare through COVID, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I was a little worried, right? I've never been through a pandemic, but, you know, May collect, normally we're around 97% collections on our rents. Um, you're always going to have a few deadbeats who don't pay. But, you know, come May came around and June came around and we were probably at worst around the low 90% collections and obviously kind of recovered from there. But, um, you know, most times our break-even point on our projects are, you know, if we can collect a little bit better than half of the rents, you know, we're still making money, still in the red, in the green. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's another reason why we tend to stick to more red states, more landlord-friendly um, laws we stay away from california for example where you know you have a lot of pro landlord laws you know no evictions and you know that was another thing that we were concerned about like in california you see a lot of you know twitter hashtags of free rent you know a lot of the states that we we do business in like alabama texas iowa 
you, know, you just have a lot of hardworking clients that aren't looking for a handout. And, um, you know, they, they understand, they're trained that if you don't pay, you can't stay. Um, some states, you know, we got some properties out in Georgia, and that was where I initially bought single-family homes. You know, it's very, um, you, know, they sh- you put in the eviction and the sheriff shows up and, you know, kicks them out. Um, it, it, it's always good to be on the good side of the, the law and be in the right state. I would agree with that. Lane, most of the listeners here for my particular podcast are healthcare professionals or in the healthcare industry in some shape or form. Uh, many of the doctors are always contemplating, should they own their real estate? Should they lease their real estate? What we see in, in the dental facilities are more and more the dentists are trying to accumulate multiple practices uh, to get uh, a higher leverage, a higher return on EBITDA, so that when they check out for retirement, uh, they're trying to get two, three, four, sometimes six or seven times their EBITDA. Is there a recommendation or a formula that you and your company would suggest that these dentists and physicians look at as they're thinking about, am I better off leasing this property or buying my own property? Right, right. I mean, logically, it makes a lot of sense, right? When you look down your expenses sheet, your rent is your highest one. So when a lot of um, folks get to the ending stage, the end game, they look to buying the real estate to eliminate that that debt that service or that expense. Um, you know, I to me, it's kind of a, not any rule, but to me, whenever you do, I always try and see what your highest and best use is, right? Like for us, we are a real estate company. Our highest and best use is leveraging our relationships with brokers and with lenders so that we do real estate deals. You know, we're not, we're not dentists, we're not doctors. We stay all that business. Um, and I, what I see, I just, I see a lot of, you know, I see a lot of investors and I can definitely see the hierarchy between unsophisticated mom and pa's who get a lukewarm deal, they get a broker. And I see the elite investors who get distressed opportunities, they get deals. And I would be willing to bet that if you're a high performing doctor or dentist, you likely are not going to be a elite investor. And therefore, I would probably recommend make the recommendation to just continuing rent. And, you know, the nice thing with that is you get the flexibility should you want to move your practice somewhere else or contract or expand. Um, You know, I like eating, but I'm not going to go buy a restaurant. Right. I think that old adage, do what you do well and let other people do the things that you don't do well, sometimes has a lot of merit. I know in my close to 40 years, I've gotten into a lot of different endeavors uh, that I wasn't prepared for, I wasn't knowledgeable about. It added an enormous amount of stress and financially uh, tended not to be lucrative. And uh, unfortunately, those things happen, at least they happen to me. And uh, listening to experts like yourself, hopefully you can provide some sanity because sometimes just because you have a lot of degrees and a lot of schooling doesn't necessarily mean you're an expert or smart in all areas. I cannot thank you enough for your time and your expertise. Could you tell our listeners if they wanted to reach out and ask specific questions or maybe get involved to a higher level for this passive investment, how can they reach out to you? Yeah, they can uh, reach out to me via email at lane at simple passive cash flow. If you guys are you know looking to get your 
rental real estate career started with, with a bunch of single family home turnkey rentals. Um, that's what I did. My first dozen podcasts or more about that. You know, I first started my podcast back in 2016, but as I've kind of moved through this journey, it's definitely moved more towards accredited investor investing and syndications and private placements. But you know, always looking to kind of connect with other investors. Uh, again, my email is lane at simplepassivecashflow.com and the podcast is Simple Passive Cashflow. Lane, I want to thank you again so much. And my understanding is you're providing a PowerPoint presentation to this podcast. So it will be posted on Ascent Dental Solutions for our listeners if they want to get some additional information on your bio, your background, and how you can help uh, us just become better uh, and more knowledgeable in the area of passive investing in real estate in particular. I want to thank Mr. Kawaka. Lane, thank you so much. I know you're busy. I know your time is important. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate you providing information and expertise to our listeners. My name is Dr. Kevin Coughlin. You've been listening to Ascent Dental Solutions, where it's a focus on knowledge, training, development, and education. I want to thank again our sponsors, Patterson Dental, Henry Shine, Vocal, On Demand Force, and also special thanks to Mr. Wolf and his podcast team for presenting these podcasts. I thank you very much. And again, for our listeners, I try to provide you with a variety of different experts, but ultimately the goal is to make our life a little better, a little smoother, and financially more secure. Thanks again for listening. And again, my name is Dr. Kevin Coughlin. You guys have a great night, and I'll be talking to you shortly. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.